Hello there, and welcome to episode 68 of the Night Gary podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're talking about the ghost of Solworth Place. It is the second story from episode 17 of season 2. Uh, it's written, well, the teleplay was written by Alvin Pinsley, based on the short story Solworth Place by Russell Kirk, and directed by Ralph Serensky. And although there are many stories in Night Gallery that are based on haunted houses and ghosts that creak around the walls and torment the people that live in them, for me personally, and I'm sure some people would disagree, it is one of the better ones out the collection. A bit of gossamer and lace, as befits a beautiful woman, fragile and ephemeral, in keeping with the soft mystery of the female. But to the gentlemen amongst you, who like all your male predecessors since the beginning of time, have been mystified and miffed by a female counterpart, this one is for you. A beautiful lady in a strange house, also inhabited, alas, by the ghost of Sorwood Place. Our story is based in Scotland, but one of our main characters in it is American, a drifter, uh, a guy who's just trying to find somewhere new to be, a guy called Ralph Burke. He is in the wilds of Scotland, in a gloomy, grey, windswept part of the world. And Ralph finds himself at Solworth Place uh, and speaking to the mistress of the manor. A woman whom he instantly gets along with, or at least feels an attraction to. A woman called Anne Loring. She's the lady of the manor and love is in the air. But after speaking to her briefly, she um, goes to speak to her in an inn to, uh, to stay there and has a drink. Speaks to the barman, the landlord. He tells the story of the woman. And explains that she's, well, she married a man, a man who was um, quite red-blooded in his standards. He had a brutal temper and a, and, and a heavy drinker. And um, he's the kind of man who lost all his money to creditors due to his passions and his instinctiveness, which uh, ruined him. Uh, and emptied the the house and it's now been gutted and basically our woman the lady of the manor uh, Anne now lives in a hollow shell of a house with nothing really there anymore anyway Ralph goes to meet her the next day and they have tea and during tea he sees a character in the grounds He's a tall man, bearded, rough, uh, a man who looks like he's lived a lot and, 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 and that living's done a lot of damage. And he's also, I would say, an element of supernatural about him. His host and says that she lives alone. But it's obvious that, in truth, there's something going on. And um, there is, 
once he pushes the point, once Ralph pushes the point, she finally explains exactly what has been happening and explains also what happened a year before. So did the foulness of his accusations. Until at last I knew that one of us must die before another day came. And if it wasn't to be me, then it had to be him. And that's why I did it. What happened? He lasted as far as the stairway. And there he sprawled. And down he went. And there he lay. Dead? With what was left in him, he looked up at me and he said, You think you've won free. Well, you're wrong. In a year's time, I'll return. And I'll celebrate our second wedding anniversary. And then he was dead. It's tonight. What's tonight? The anniversary of our wedding. He's back already. We've both seen him. But he hasn't come for me yet. He will tonight. To do what? That's what I don't know. And why I'm frightened. And why I need you. What can I do? Keep him from me tonight. After explaining the story and explaining exactly where she's coming from and, uh, and the fact that th this man should come again, she asks Ralph to protect her on this night, this night she believes that she will be attacked by her former husband, Alistair. Ralph agrees, but Loring says one last thing to warn him of her, to warn him exactly the type of woman she really is. you'll take your hat in your hand and slam the door behind you and be done with me forever as well. There's no love in me. Not for a tree, nor a blade of grass, nor man, nor beast, nor any other thing that breathes God's air. That's what turned Alistair against me from the start and what sent him to the servants' quarters the whole year we were wed. I did the duties of a wife on our wedding night, and when that was done, he never touched me again. There can be nothing between us, Ralph, as it is. And if your ghosts need that to send them to their rest, you'll be making a bad bargain for yourself. She's the type of woman that will basically never love him. And like an idiot, Ralph still agrees out of, I'm assuming, some kind of duty to protect her. It's night time now. And he, he tries to secure the perimeter from the supernatural presence as if that would help. And discovers Anne actually trying to open a door and let Alistair in. Angry and confused, he sends her upstairs. Where he hears a sound. He follows her up and sees the spirit of the dead man above he heading towards the, uh, the, 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 the mistress of the manor. There's a battle. Oh, uh, uh, there's there's a, a fight breaks out between the spirit and Ralph. They grapple. 
And in the end, in a desperate moment, Ralph lunges at Alistair, the spirit, the angry man who wants to attack Anne. The spirit understandably disappears. And Ralph plunges to his death, falling through a great, de a great staircase and cracking his body against the floor. He's dead. But we then see the reality of what this house and this ghostly attack has done. As Anne, sitting in bed with a nightshirt on, waits, she finally sees the corpse of Ralph ready for her, and he creates his final denouncement in rage. Midnight's passed and he's gone for good. You're free of him forever. Ralph. You left your door unlocked, Anne, and you went down to unlock the front door. But then you said you could never love anything alive. Come to me, my Ralph. In a year. In a year, I'll come to you. Originally based on an old place of sort, which was published in the London Mystery Magazine issue 14 back in the 50s. Um, the truth, it was then reprinted as sort of place of story, including Kirk's uh, 1962 story collection, The Surly Sullen Bell. And again, in 79, The Princess of All Lands. Um, they're the two stories that it was popped up in. Um, it was a, well, the story itself, I think, has a certain gothic charm to it. And it's a, it's a good tale. I think the issue really for this comes from um, when we're looking at the adaptation. There are some problems, which we'll get into in a second. But for me personally, the strength of the story and the kind of, uh, the gleefulness in some of the macabre elements and the, the denouncements at the end makes it a, a good, solid and exciting tale. Um, obviously, the first thing you have to say about, the, well, for me personally, it's the drama and the denouncements of the drama. A woman who cannot love something that is living and tries to manufacture something dead that she can emote to. And with that as well, I think it works in terms of the fact that you're not exactly sure how long this cycle has been going on for. Is this man, in fact, Alistair? Or has she been waiting? And this cycle, yearly cycle continues that she's generated every year, managing to get a man who she wants to save her, but in actual fact, plunges to his doom, and the cycle continues again. I mean, for me personally, the question could almost be, is Anna a ghost? Is this just some kind of supernatural honey trap? A spirit trap almost. Tr drawing in various random characters. But I think maybe I am a little bit over-exaggerating, over possibly over-egging this story. But I still like this kind of, this idea. This, and, and, you know, a ghost story with a femme fatale in a very literal sense at its heart. 
On the other hand, looking at it, the problems are obvious in the terms of the fact that this is not Scotland. It is never Scotland. Never in a million years is it Scotland. It's California. It, it looks like it. It looks like it could easily have been, um, you know, big surprise could have been filmed just down the road. Uh, it feels like the Universal set, um, backlot, which obviously is what it is. Which is a shame. Um, I think also the one of the other reasons why it works is the strength of the cast. Uh, you have Ralph Burke, uh, who was played by uh, Richard Keeley, who um, those who have been following my night gallery journey will remember him as the uh, the main the our Nazi uh, officer from the escape route all the way back in the pilot when we started this, you know, the, the, from the 1969 pilot, which you know. I spoke about on the podcast back in the autumn of 2010. Also, uh, Anne Loring, who uh, was played by Jill Ireland, is played with uh, a, a great deal of innocence, uh, and she seems like somebody who is, is you know, relatively likable. But the reality can come up and sneak up on you about exactly what she's up to uh, when you reach that stage. But, you know, you have, um, there's a character who plays uh, uh, the housekeeper and um, she seems to be a little bit from Mrs. Dalfire in her, in her Scottishness. It's all a bit, ooh, hello, kind of, kind of voices, which is terrible. And uh, it doesn't feel like Scotland. I, I know this criticism pops up frequently when we discuss these kind of things. And in truth, Night, Night Gallery really only works uh, with this kind of storytelling when it is, you know, in, you know, even America or meant to be like the desert or something. I think when they, the second they fly over, they, they pretend they're flying over to the UK, the wheels come off. That might be more evident to me because I'm English uh, and I know what Scotland looks like and it doesn't look like that, that back lot there. But at the same time, you know, I think... Um, you know, it's understandable. I mean, there's a quote in uh, the After Hours Tour book, which is the uh, Scott Skelton, Jim Benson uh, text, where he says, uh, Ralph Serenski, the director, says, uh, I think Sorrow Place would have gained if it could have been done as an hour show. The material warranted a little deeper treatment, but that's hindsight. And I think there's an element of that. You need to, to get, well, I think what he probably means, you need to spend a bit more time with the characters to build to it, so the denouncement isn't quite so shocking this concept that um and is a as a woman that can only love the dead is really only touched on her coldness and also you know a, a almost perverted kind of nature in terms of that um you know it, it, it's mentioned and then is obviously you know works because it casts back to that but at the same time it's not as good as it could have been but that said and I, and I know at the beginning of the podcast I said that I really enjoy it. And I think the, re the reason I really enjoy it is that I like the themes. I, I think you don't need, in truth, I think it would have been a, a weaker story if it had been a full, whatever, 50 minutes plus adverts. Um, because I think at its at its heart, it, 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 you know, it, it uses enough tropes for you to understand exactly where you are. Um, what let it down is just basically... The fact that they weren't able to film in a believable location. 
But that said, that is not to say that it's, you know, it, it is a weakness. I mean, let's be honest with you, coming back to Night Gallery after all this time, you have to kind of accept that, you know, you have to askew some of the, the more literalness of the television medium and just kind of try and embrace the stories. Um, and I, I, I do, I really enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. Um, there's an interesting story, well, brief one anyway. Um, originally, the script meant that uh, Jill Ireland would have to be naked in the scene. Uh, but there was no way they were going to do that. Uh, Swinsey said, uh, she came to me and said she didn't want to do it, and I agreed with her totally. I knew there was no reason to shoot it because it was not going to be on television. That was the period in Hollywood when the bans on what you could and couldn't shoot were dropping like flies. Nudity was becoming the nudity was becoming the rage and features. But the networks were not airing new bodies in the early 70s, so why shoot it for the glee of the screening room? Um, it's I mean for me personally, it obviously makes sense, and I, I, you know these kind of things do pop up in Night Gallery on occasion. Um, you know the 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 scripts are designed to be quite adult in tone, and uh, you know and sometimes particularly with horror, you know these kind of adult themes are there. But at the same time, you're filming for NBC in the early seventies. It seems madness. It seems madness to even. Uh, to even to even try and film something like that. So for me personally, this is a story with a, a brilliantly strong plot. It's well, it's uh, the script is okay, and also the delivery of the actors is great. Uh, it falls down because of some of its execution, but let's be honest with you, that isn't something that we haven't seen in Night Gallery before. But still, as with a lot of ghost stories, it's good just to revel in the atmosphere. Take my advice, Mr. Burke. From one who's seen the blackness of evil descend on this house, go to Dryman before you get caught up in it yourself. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for the massively warm response I've received for uh, returning to uh to doing these podcasts uh, i've missed them and uh it's good to, to be back uh we're gonna get a bit of momentum going and also you know people have been really nice and kind very supportive of, of the podcast and, and thank you for that um also thank you to benny35 who posted a lovely review on the uk itunes uh those reviews are always always great they, they help get the words out on what we're doing and also uh you know, it's nice that it's nice that people are so kind with the words on this on this little thing that I've been doing. Um, if you want to get hold of me, you can do. Um, the easiest way is through email at chris at the twilightzonenetwork.com. or you can go to my private Twitter account, which is at orange underscore monkey. If you uh, or you can go to our website www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. I'd recommend you go there anyway because there's links to our Facebook, to the, to the uh, Twilight Zone Net fe uh, Twitter feed, and also you can leave any messages on any of the articles that we upload there. There's a uh, fiction. It's obviously the Twilight Zone podcast, Tom's uh, podcast, which is brilliant. Uh, various other bits and bobs. X minus one started being uploaded again because I've started doing that. Again, so there's lots there, there's lots to read, lots to look at. Uh, so hopefully if you'd like to take a look, we'd be more than happy for you to do so. 
next week we have got a well a new episode. Episode 18 from season 2. The first story is The Waiting Room, which is an original sailing story. Uh, directed by Jenna Swark. So it's something that to be looked forward to. And it's well executed, but there is problems in the fact that it, you know, it has the touch as some of the Twilight the Night Gallery episodes do, that they uh, they feel quite a lot like they come from a certain Twilight Zone story from the 50s. But until then, uh, until we talk about that, which will be next week, take care, and I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you.